There's a song in the hymn book. Uh, we're not going to sing it, but the songwriter says, more like the master I would ever be. Then he starts to list certain things, like more meekness, more humility, more zeal to labor, and more consecration. And then he goes on, and he says, uh, the strength to carry crosses I must bear, and more effort to bring his kingdom in. And he goes on, talks about self-denial and so forth. And wherever we are today as Christians, there's more for us. There is a place in God that we have not arrived in yet. There is something that God has individually for each of us, and not necessarily something tangible that we could see, although that may be true, but a place in God, a spiritual quality within that maybe we don't have at this time. See, there's always something out there. There's, all, there's always something more. There are those who point their heart toward the Lord, and there are those who will go that way, and the Lord will work with them and work on them and do what he can and do what he does to help us along. But you know, the world, in this world, there are so many distractions, and I would have to say, now I haven't been all over the world, but I've been to some places in the world where, to me, it seems as though there are less distractions than there are here. But the carnal nature is the carnal nature. And the heart of man is the heart of man. And it doesn't take a lot of distractions. It only takes one or two. And so with you and I, we are to have a heart for him. And of course, Christians interpret even that phrase differently and look at things differently. Uh, what does it mean to have a heart for him? Well, it's not doing religious things necessarily, but it is having that which in with that which is within you that hunger and thirst for God. And as I said, there are many, many distractions, especially in our society. And, and of course, if you go overseas to Europe, you have the same basic thing. When I was down Central America, I noticed one thing with the Christians, in, for example, in Guatemala, in particular, in certain places, that, of course, you have the distractions of life, but they were more focused upon the Lord in certain places than in others. And their life, their manner of living, displayed that. Not, not some surface thing, but it's just this genuine heart that wants God and wants to move on with God, wants to learn about him, to move in a deeper place. And this one individual I'm thinking of in particular, uh, I don't think I've seen many people that were as dedicated as this man. And I had spent time with him several times, well, uh, the four times I was down there, 
two times I spent more time with him than the other. And there was quite a quality in the man. And he, he, the Lord had called him, I don't even know why I'm sharing all this, <laughs> nowhere near what I was going to share, but anyway, the Lord had called him to be an evangelist. And the Lord had called him to go across the country and to minister the word. And there was such a quality in him. Now, as far as his biblical knowledge, he, he knew quite a bit, but there, just like all of us, there's gaps in, in what we see and what we know of the Lord. The purity of heart, the genuineness of heart, this desire to please God and to see God and, and to go through certain things. This man, when I went down there, uh, the Lord was using me to, to teach the pastors in a seminar, and uh, this man was there. And there he was, he submitted to me, and I'm thinking, Lord, what do I have to offer this guy? And the more I got to know him, I thought, you know, he should be up here. I should be sitting under him. But the Lord does things the way he does things, and, you know, that's just the way it is. You know, I, I have to look at my heart and my life, say, Lord, what am I willing to do, or what am I willing to go through, or what am I willing to suffer for you? We can do things as Christians and cause suffering in our life that is not of God. In other words, God is not the instrument of it. We suffer because of our choices. But there is an area that God may call us into that will bring personal suffering. And I'm not talking about sickness or anything like that, but I'm talking about that which is in us that does not want to go that way. And so this individual was single, given his life to God, and the Lord used him tremendously. What he would do was he would go from one church to another. When he would get an invitation, he would go. And he, he was like on a circuit where he would go to visit certain churches all over the country. And he would go into the jungle areas where a lot of people wouldn't go. And he didn't have a job. And many times he didn't have money to buy food. He was dependent upon the pastor or the people at the church that he went to to, to actually take him and feed him or whatever. And he many times just had enough money in his pocket to go from the church he was in to maybe 300 miles away on a bus to go to the next church. And he told me some of the things, this was right before he died, a year before he died. He, he told me some of the things that the Lord called him to do and, and what he had to go through and I was just listening to him. And, and I won't share some of these things, but I'll share one thing. He was telling me that one day he, he was called to go to this one church, and he was to preach there. So he, he got there in the evening, Saturday evening. He was going to preach on Sunday morning. And there he was, and they said, okay, they didn't have any accommodations. He had a bedroll a lot of times. He would just sleep on the ground. And they said, okay, well, you can go sleep in the church. Well, the church is down there. They all have stone floors. 
Uh, many of them have dirt floors, but some of them have um, stones. Some have the, um, it's like thick, I don't know if you call it like a terrazzo. It was just like real thick, kind of like a ceramic towel, but they were like an inch thick. And if you've ever tried to sleep on them, they're not too comfortable. And so he decided he's going to sleep on one of the pews, but the pews were all wood, hard wood, not the most comfortable thing. And so here he is sleeping or trying to sleep, and all of a sudden, all these bugs come out, and they were starting to crawl all over him and bite him and, and all this stuff, and he, he couldn't sleep. Of course, probably none of us could. So he walked around the church inside and prayed all night long as these bugs were biting him. And then he said that finally he fell asleep. I don't know how he fell asleep, but he fell asleep, and he woke up, and when he, his feet hit the floor, he says the whole church was filled with, with toads, frogs, that came in to eat the bugs. And then, of course, a time after that, the people came in and he ministered. I would love to have heard the message that he had that day. But see, he had a heart for God, and he was going to do what God asked him to do, regardless of the personal cost. Many times, you know, us, myself included, when God asks us to do something small, for us, sometimes it's a big deal. We're not in too interested in inconvenience, even, let alone suffering in another way. And if any of you have ever read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, and you go back to the third and fourth century, on up to the 16th, 17th century, and you read about Christians who, in the will of God, or because they were Christians, and because they took a stand for God, and, and they pick up the Bible and read it, they wanted to read the Bible. They suffered horrendous things at the hand, mainly, of the Catholic Church. Killing, torturing, imprisonment, having everything, their homes and what have you, completely confiscated by the church and, and sold. And they ran around from place to place, many of them having no place to stay. Like, for example, William Tyndale. He translated the Bible into English. And they hunted him down like a dog, like a dog. But God gave him a vision. God gave him something in spirit. He saw something. And, of course, he saw the Lord. And he had this relationship with the Lord. But the Lord showed him something and revealed to him that he wanted him personally to do a particular thing. And that was to translate the Bible into English. And so he, he catches this thing in spirit. And he moves to fulfill that. And so it is with Christians, you know, throughout the ages, and even you and I, you know, we are to catch things in spirit. You know, it's not that we understand everything or see everything or know everything, but we, we can catch something in spirit and in, in here, inside, in our inner man. We know that it's true. We know 
that it has come from the throne of God. And because of that very thing, that will compel us to walk in a certain way to fulfill or to uh, move along the path to bring something that the Lord has brought to us to fruition. And so you and I are to, at times, catch something. And I can't tell you what that is. I can't tell you, uh, and, and I'm talking necessar- not necessarily about, it will pertain to you, yes. But it will also pertain to others. And so in the Bible, many times you see this where, and this is so true today, man focuses upon the temporal. Now, there's a scripture in Corinthians. I don't know where it is. Does anybody know where that is about the temporal and the eternal? It's in Corinthians somewhere. See if you can find that. Four, five, or six. I thought it was six. But man seems to focus on the temporal. And I'll give you a good example. Pardon me? 2 Corinthians 4, 18. Okay, that sounds right. I'll read that in a minute. A good example of this is what we have just seen uh, over the past month, the Summer Olympics. Now, the Summer Olympics, there's one quote where this one individual said that uh, I have it actually here written down that the Olympics portray greatness, or temporal greatness is a better way to say it. And man is all caught up in becoming great personally. Many people are in this life. And then that uh, moves along in so many different areas, athletic competition, sports, of course, um, Academia, you know, the quest for knowledge. See, the Greeks were very, very temporal or very physical people in that, you know, the Olympic Games. That's all this, everything in the natural. And this quest for knowing and understanding and knowledge. Um, Socrates and and all the the Greek philosophers, that was the, the quest of life. That's what life was. They wanted to be great in this life. In our country, if you ask someone, well, what is greatness to you? You'll get various answers, of course, but some people believe that to be successful in business brings greatness. Or to accrue wealth, having homes and cars and, you know, what have you, is greatness. So there's many different interpretations of what that means, but all that is temporal greatness at best, at best. And man, in general, mankind, there's a quest for this temporal, because if there wasn't, then there would be a turning toward something else. There would be a seeking after the Lord. You know, but instead you have something different. In Isaiah 35, Isaiah 55, verse 2. 
The prophet says, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? That is a view of the temporal. So you're spending your money on that which you think is bread, that which is sustenance for you. Your wages on what does not satisfy the temporal. But the Bible, or you could say the Lord always takes our view away from the temporal. In the teachings of Jesus, the parables, he actually went as far as to take that example of the temporal, the lilies, uh, the birds of the trees, the mustard seed. He, he would take that which was temporal and he would move it over so that you could see that the temporal is one thing it's one focus, but this over here, the spiritual, is to be the true focus of the heart of man. And so the prophet here in Isaiah 55 in verse 1 says, Ho, everyone who thirsts. Well, there is a thirst today in people. Everybody thirsts, you know that? You know, people in the world thirst. They thirst for pleasure, they thirst for success, they thirst for wealth, uh, you know, they thirst for, um, to be known, you know, to be popular, to be you know, on top. So there, there's many thirsts. And the Lord says here, come to the waters. Well, what waters are they, Lord? Well, it's not the thirsting in the water that the world seeks after. It's something quite different that he wants to give to people. And you have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now, when he says here wine and milk, reminds me of the promised land where the Lord says about the promised land, he says that, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Now think about this. When in Isaiah here, he says, yes, come buy wine and milk. He's talking about abundance. The land flowing with milk and honey is portraying an abundance so that there is to be in the life an entrance. And then there is there the milk and honey or the abundance or the abundant life that the Lord wants. But see, if any of us or any Christian continues to focus on the temporal, so you can focus on the temporal as a Christian. It doesn't matter whether you're Christian or not. Christians can focus on the temporal. That's not to mean that you can't see things in the temporal area or use them like you do. But it's, it's a heart focus. See, a, a Christian can focus on the temporal. But if, if we focus on the temporal, then there will not be this abundance or we will not enter into this place where not only will we can experience the abundant life, but we actually are moving in that to some degree. And so he says here, come buy wine and milk. See, that's not going to be, you're not going to buy that with the money of the world. 
you know, back then they used silver coins and what have you as a medium of exchange. But you can't use that in the temporal to buy or to purchase what Isaiah is saying here in verse 1. See, it, to buy spiritual things, so you and I can purchase spiritual things. But to buy spiritual things, the commodity is not something in the natural, per se. It's going to be your dedication to the Lord, your heart attitude toward Him. It's going to be your desire for Him. Uh, it's going to be your time, uh, your focus, different things. See, and you and I all have the capacity to buy in that sense. See, we have a will, and we can take our desires to the Lord if they're not correct and allow Him to correct that, see. So we have the tools before us to actually bring us into an abundant area. See, so the Lord, it doesn't just do it for you. He will do it with you. So it, it takes something in my heart, in your heart, a desire. Okay, and you have to buy. Uh, without money, you're going to buy wine and milk. You're going to move into this other area. Uh, that Jesus actually says, I've come that you might have life, initial salvation and that you might have it more abundantly. That's the abundant life, the milk and honey. There's another area there. And so the desire of the Lord is for, for you and I uh, to have that. And then he goes on, and he, he goes in verse 2 about the temporal. He says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Well... It's not that you're going to say, or a person is going to say, oh, well, I want to you know, delight in the Lord, and it's just going to be abundance. It's, it takes something more. There is to be in us something the Lord places there that our interest and our desire is Him. And however that you know, plays out in our lives, you know, according to His will and purpose, you know, it, it is. Isaiah 35, let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians first, 4, verse 15. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread th through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God, the grace of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, are you aware that your outward man is perishing? Now, us here who are older, we understand our outward man is perishing. We can't run like we did. We can't move the way we did. Our hairline is not the same as it was, and so on. But you know, to catch this, what he's saying here, that our outward man is perishing, but the inward man... To actually catch that and, and see that and have that actually affect you is different. 
when I was probably, I don't know, 35, 40, I would say, maybe 35, somehow the Lord, when he did this, I thought that, you know, how we are sometimes, we think one thing when the Lord shows us something, and then it takes a little while for him to actually show us what he showed us, if you understand what I'm saying. So he brought to me the reality that my life is going to be over very, very soon. I was 35, or thereabouts. And so I'm thinking, well, that must mean to me that within the next four or five years, I'm probably going to be dead. But later on, the Lord was showing me, or he showed me what he showed me, or explained to me what he showed me, and that is that your life is even as a vapor, a fog in the valley. It appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. Like that, that's life. But early on, I caught that and I saw that. And so I said, okay, Lord, what would you have me to do? Direct my life in what your purpose is for me. You know, show me what you want me to do. You know, teach, you know, whatever it may be. And, you know, keep me in that. To actually catch that at a young age, if you who are 20 or 25, if you can catch this, if the reality that your life is as a vapor, the morning dew, the fog, it's going to be over. If you can catch that, not up here, not believe it from the Bible, but in your heart, in your spirit, if you can catch that, that will change things for you because you will walk in a different way. You will function in a different way. And it's sad to say that there are some who are much older that have never caught that. Well, they know they're getting older. They look in the mirror and, you know, what used to take five minutes now is taking 35 minutes to fix the face or to comb your hair or whatever it may be. You, you can see there's a difference. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where in your heart, in your spirit now, because of what you have seen, it has affected you and your walk is different. It's just like catching a glimpse of his glory. If you catch a glimpse of his glory... That's not just to catch a glimpse of his glory. One of the purposes behind that is to affect your life and change your life so that you will never be the same. And in uh, 2 Corinthians still, verse 16, chapter 4, verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And then Paul, you know, Paul lists in Corinthians the different things that he suffered, you know, for the gospel, as I began with. You know, people go through certain things. Sometimes I, I look at my life and I'm saying, Lord, I know I had to, to suffer in this area, in this area, in this area, and different things the Lord has done over the years. But, you know, compared to others, maybe I shouldn't you know, look at it that way, but compared to some things that Christians have to suffer, I'm thinking, haven't have really gone through all that much. But see, it's not so much the physical, the outward suffering type of thing. It's how circumstances and things touch you on the inside. 
It, it, it doesn't, you know, you don't have to be bit by bugs all night long for something to cause you to suffer in here. See? The, the, the Lord, you know, he, I think he has a level playing field. It doesn't matter where you are. You have to experience things and, and suffer through certain things in your personal life, no matter where you live. It doesn't matter whether it's here or you know, in Guatemala or in China. It doesn't matter. For our light affliction, now Paul went through quite a bit, and he calls it a light affliction. You know, why? Well, he's comparing it. He sees something. He's comparing it to the glory of God. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us or in us, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while, and this is a key in this passage, while we look, or while, while we do not look at the things which are seen, the temporal. See, the temporal is the temporal. I mean, you can see it and you can, you know, whatever. But as far as it holding a certain place in your spiritual view, that's different. You have to, you can't focus on the temporal. While we do not look at the, the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. Temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. So the Lord wants us to see what is not seen. There are those who do not see certain things. And I, I, I don't know, <laughs> this is a bigger area too. Seeing things many times is for our own benefit. And it can be sometimes for the benefit of others. But you personally, as a Christian must see the Lord somehow, some way, at some point in your life. You must see him differently than you see him now. And as I said earlier, catching a glimpse of him, or maybe another way to say it is to see a little bit of his glory, will do something in your life that nothing else will. I often wondered why... Why it is that you see some of the people in the Bible, you know, Paul, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, some of these individuals who had great difficulty in to go forth and do what the Lord wanted them to do personally in their life, they had to go through quite a bit to accomplish that. And what, what is it? that enable them to do that. And you say, God, well, yeah, I know that. But I mean, in particular, in their life, what was it? And it may not be just one thing, of course. Is there something that is really there that is kind of like a central thing that helped them in their ministry? And I could be wrong, and I'm sure others could add to this, but as I see it, we must see the Lord, you know, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. 
We know that scripture. But in our heart or in our spirit, somehow the Lord must uh, unveil himself. Uh, we all with open face. That word open means unveiled face. Uh, seeing the glory of the Lord are changed into that same image. See, somehow you must see at some point in your life the glory of the Lord. He must show you that. And when he does, that does something, as I said earlier, in your heart, and everything changes. I remember I was studying one night. Now, of course, the Lord deals with everybody differently, and how he shows himself to you, he may show himself to someone else differently. And I'm not just talking about the leading of the Spirit. I'm talking about where you catch a glimpse of his glory. I was studying one evening. I, I can't even remember what I was studying. It may have been Ezekiel. I don't remember. But the Lord just opened something up in the Scriptures, and I could see a little glimpse of his glory. And I was just like, I was like taken to the floor. It was like strange, but it, it was it was quite different than just sitting and reading or even studying. It's just the Lord opened something there of Himself that I could see. I can't even explain it. I can't explain it, but I know that that the Lord showed me something of Himself. And that has affected my spirit even to this day. And so there are certain times in my walk where that has happened. You know, it wasn't an everyday thing. It was rare. But every once in a while, you know, something like that happens. And the Lord strengthens you in the inner man. That's not even sufficient. He does something within you that... Nothing else can do, but he does something in you that causes you to see him differently and causes you to walk in a different way than you did before, before him. Now, I'm not talking about before people, because people will say what people say. In the world, in the church, people judge, people say this, people say that. I'm not talking about that. That is what it is. But walking you personally, before the Lord, to please Him. And that's what matters. I'm not here to please you, by the way. Sorry to say. I'm not a Christian to please people. I'm a Christian to please Him. Now, in Isaiah 35, do you know that this world is a barren place? I mean, now in the temporal or in the natural, it isn't. You know, you see, you, know, you go out west and you see the, the Rockies and you see the rivers, the Colorado River and, you know, the forests and it's beautiful. But in spirit, this world is barren and parched. And as a Christian, you're not going to receive what you need as far as a drink, or any sustenance, food, from this world, this world system. 
it is what it is. You have to go to work. You're a part of that. You have your home. It's, you know, it's all part of this world. You have your life is uh, you're in this world system, but you're not of it. Your spirit is not of it. So in Isaiah 35, uh, the middle part of verse 6, for water shall burst forth in the wilderness. See, we're living in this wilderness. It's called this, this earth. And streams in the desert. Well, how is that, how is that possible? And we're not talking about the, the literal earth. We're talking about now in spirit. In spirit, for you personally, the Lord can bring forth streams in the desert or in a dry place, maybe where you are as a Christian, he will cause streams to burst forth to you. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water in the habitation of jackals where each lay. There shall be grass with reeds and rushes. So the Lord is talking about some spiritual uh, thing here, spiritual aspect of, of what's happening, you know, this is going to burst forth, and it has. Um, verse 8, a highway shall be there. And this highway means a thoroughfare or like a public road. And a road. And it shall be called the highway of holiness. So holiness, the, the basic thought in the word holiness is purity. See, God is holy. He's pure. Uh, he wants you and I, as it says in Corinthians, perfecting holiness. That there is to be in our lives uh, a moving with him. So that this holiness, this purity is an ongoing I don't want to say quest, but we are moving and walking with him. And, and so that you are to be washed, you are to be pure, and that is to be a continual, you know, like, like a sanctification process. The sanctification process in the Bible is immediate in some scriptures, and it's also progressive. So you are sanctified, but you're also being sanctified. Because we live in a world where we get, can get dirty. And so you have that continual going on. So he says there, there shall be a highway of holiness. And uh, let's finish reading. The unclean shall not pass over it. So the unclean or the unpure cannot move or they can't continue to walk in this place. So for, for me as a Christian to walk on this highway, it is going to take purification. And you know, whatever area of my life needs to be clean, the sanctification process is progressive, that that must occur in my life as I walk with the Lord. So if I am walking on the highway of holiness here, and the Lord is purifying me, then no lion, no bear, nothing can come on there and tear me apart spiritually. But 
if something happens in my heart, I become unclean in one area or another area. And I don't take that to the Lord and say, Lord, cleanse this, get it right. Then what happens is I am off to the side now, and now I become prey to whatever. Now, does it say that? Yeah, verse 9. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. So to remain in this highway of holiness entails you and I, any Christian, must be being cleansed. We must be actively in this sanctification process, or we must allow the Lord to purify us. If we become stubborn, if, let's say, for example, there's something in my life that now the Lord showed me I know is not right, and I'm going to stay in that. I'm going to, that's it, I'm here. What that does in spirit, now we're talking about spiritual things here, see, what that does, it moves me off now to the side. Now, I may not even realize that that's where I am. But as he says in, in there, no lion or ravenous beast is able to come up there and get you spiritually. But now if I am over here, I'm on the edge. You know, like, like people say, I'm, I'm living on the edge. They don't know where, where they're really living. But now... I am in a place where I am subject to being tore by a ravenous beast. And so, in my heart, I must always go to the Lord, always. And you will find that periodically, you as a Christian, as you walk, periodically you will have to go to the Lord to get certain things in your life right. I don't care who you are. It doesn't matter who you are. That's just usually the way things are. And so maybe I have an attitude towards somebody, or maybe I say something with my mouth that I should never say. The tongue is a world of iniquity. It doesn't say just the unsaved tongue. It says the tongue, period. So it doesn't matter whether you're saved or not. It can be a world of iniquity. You can say something that causes damage in somebody, and you say, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Let me make that thing right. Well, when I do that, if I don't do it, I stay over here. And with some individuals, they move further. Unbeknownst to them, they're moving further, and they become in peril, or they become in this, they're in this dangerous place where spiritually they can just be tore up. Now, many times, the grace of God, I believe, envelopes people. And he just keeps them in that for a period or a time. And he's the control of that. He's the one that does that. You know, that's not my business, not your business. But if in my heart, and the Lord is good. Remember, it says that we all with open face, unveiled face, seeing the glory of the Lord. He comes, he unveils the face, or he unveils uh, our heart. Okay, now what I said was wrong. You know, or maybe I thought what I said was right. Maybe it wasn't right. But eventually the Lord hopefully comes and he shows us what's the problem. And now we can move back over here. We're spiritually, we're, we don't have to walk. He puts us back in here. And now we're under this, or under him, or in this area where now the ravenous beast can't get a hold of us. And so the focus of my life, 
If it is going to be temporal, and that's going to be what I see and what I move in, and, and that's all my thinking, you know. And I'm a Christian, you see. That is going to move me. Now, I might not know, but it's going to move me. That's why you see many places in the Bible, he takes the temporal and he, and he then shows you the eternal, and he contrasts the two. The reason the contrast is there in Isaiah 55, in um, 2 Corinthians 4, and in many other places, the reason the contrast is there is to teach. First of all, to teach us so that we can see it. Then once we see it, hopefully there is an action within us to move toward the eternal. And so the Lord is very, very good. And I'm glad he helps me because I'm not the perfect person. I'm not the perfect Christian. But I'm moving toward perfection with his help and grace. Thank you.